Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Happy Week 10. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and we have a ton of talk about today. She support waiver wire, even some running back handcuff tears, because why the hell not? It's a great day to be great after all. Joining me, as always, on this lovely Tuesday afternoon, PFF's finest resident expert, ranker, all-around awesome guy, Nathan Yonke. Nate, what's up, my man? Hey, doing well. We are halfway through this season. We've made it to the halfway point. You could even argue more, Nate, you know, fantasy season usually ends in week 17, you know, some people a little better, maybe than myself at keeping that, you know, pedal to the middle all throughout the playoffs. But at least in terms of winning those season long best ball dynasty, whatever have you championships, we are more than halfway through. So crazy how time flies. And then you kind of start thinking back and it's like, well, actually, you know, quite a bit of time has indeed gone by. So with all that said, Nate, we're gonna get to your waiver wire goodness in just a second as we we always do on this edition of the podcast we like to finish things up with the previous week by going through all the things that really made us curse at our televisions cry just overall feel bad about ourselves it is the sheesh report all the near misses better balls that should have been touchdowns touchdowns that weren't called touchdowns because of penalties just short whatever reason i've gone through watched every single game and i'm here to tell you why your fantasy team unfortunately couldn't get that w last week first of all the sheesh player of week nine has to go to the one the only atlanta Falcons tight end Kyle Pitts I mean coming off that game in week eight where he was able to get 80 yards get a touchdown it seemed like maybe things were finally turning around and to be fair like he now has 16 targets over the past two weeks wasn't for lack of trying last week it was for lack of quarterback performance so just 27 yards but Nate 202 air yards out here man he had a wide open 73 yard potential touchdown that unfortunately Mariota couldn't put anywhere near him also had a chance for a 32 yard touchdown but the ball was just out of reach. To be fair, it did look like the defender was a little bit early on that one. But, Nate, I guess my beef with this, the big point that we lauded Kyle Pitts for coming out was the longest wingspan of any tight end or wide receiver measured in the last 20 years. I know there's some debate about Calvin Johnson, but I don't think it was official the way it was with Kyle Pitts at the combine. Whatever, fine. Maybe Calvin Johnson was actually longer, and the articles I saw citing this were wrong. He's objectively one of the biggest targets of the last two decades plus. You can say NFL history. I doubt there were too many guys bigger than Kyle Pitts running around in the 70s. And Mariota can't even give him a chance man it's not like all those areas were gimmies my guy over at four four john daigle likes to call him prairie yards i agree with a lot of that but just to see Mariota time and time again throw the ball downfield and it doesn't even hit a hand 
that, that's the part I can't get over, Nate. So unfortunate. It's going to continue to be a reality of the situation. And yeah, if you did have the you know displeasure of watching that Falcons game over the weekend, you were just saying sheesh a lot pretty much every single time the ball went in the Kyle Pitts direction. All right, group of pass catchers who could have scored or picked up big yards with a, with a more accurate pass. Jalen Waddle should still be running, guys. He had a chance to have a 77-yard house call, really put the final dagger in the Chicago Bears. Too bad Tua had a rare misfire and badly underthrew the speedy second-year receiver. So I have my quarterback article coming out tomorrow. I bring up how Tua, regardless of the underthrows on the deep balls, he's top two in any metric you want to look at throwing the ball downfield. And you can certainly attribute that to Tyreek Hill just realizing you know, this is still one of the league's best passing games, even with some of these misses. And we did have some to Tyreek as well. And this one, despite the big performance, drew an end zone defensive pass interference, should have been a 33-yard touchdown with a better pass. And then later he caught a 39-yard bomb, probably could have been 57 yards and a touchdown with a better throw. Speaking of really good quarterbacks, making a mistake or two out there, we did have Patrick Mahomes miss Travis Kelsey on what should have easily been a 25-yard gain and prevented the need for overtime as a whole. This happened with under a minute left in the game. Unfortunately, rare miss from Mahomes could not get to Kelsey there. Ended up winning the game. Not a big deal. Also, a Patriots wide receiver, Tyquan Thornton. I know he dudded, but really more Mac Jones induced than anything else. I mean, he wasn't wide open until his coverage defender fell down at the goal line. Could have, should have, would have been a 25-yard score. Too bad Mac Jones basically threw the ball into the bleachers. few more other wide receivers, tight ends that had pretty clear missed touchdowns due to a bad pass. Tom Kennedy for the Lions missed out on a seven-yard touchdown from Jared Goff. Raiders running back Amir Abdullah had a 20-yard wheel route for a score, but Derek Carr overthrew him. Bennett Skroenek, the Rams wide receiver who continues to pretty much get more uses now on Robinson. He should have had an eight-yard touchdown, but Stafford skipped it in. Lamar Jackson, unfortunately, three appearances on this on Monday night. Demarcus Robinson had two potential chances for touchdowns, and Josh Allen also had a third. I'm not Josh Allen. Josh Oliver almost had a third. And finally, Saints quarterback Andy Dalton, wide open Marquez Callaway before the half for a 15-yard score. Unfortunately, sailed it high and long. Biggest touchdown drop of the week. Usually we have five or six, but the only one I actually counted as a straight-up drop touchdown was Scotty Miller, who had that seven-yard score. Hit him directly in the face and then fall through the ground on that. But Scotty doesn't know, guys, so maybe give him a little bit of a break. Also had several touchdowns, unfortunately nullified due to penalty. Cordero Patterson, my guy, Nate, didn't even realize this all of Sunday. Uh, finally found out on Monday. Actually had a 38-yard touchdown run over left end. They got called back on both a tripping penalty and an offensive holding. So, yeah, I guess the hole was that big for a reason. Still realized Patterson almost had trifecta of scores in his first game back. I think other than Kyle Pitts, the most sheeshful moment of the week, though, Kyler Murray had a one-yard touchdown pass to DeAndre Hopkins at the end of the fourth quarter. And guess what? It didn't count because Robbie Anderson on the completely other side of the field didn't get set in time. And because of that, it was just a false start penalty and no touchdown for DeAndre Hopkins. So Robbie Anderson, I believe, has now played three games with the Arizona Cardinals. He has negative four yards in three games. That is uh, not good, and I don't think you need any more advanced metrics to tell you that. A couple moments that were very close. It's tough to you know really blame one party because they were, you know, high-difficulty plays, but very close nonetheless. Josh Allen, I mean, he had Stephon Diggs open deep down the left sideline. It was a 55-yard heave in the air, so I feel like, you know, wrong saying, oh, man, Josh underthrew it. When it, How many quarterbacks could even get it 55 yards in the air in the first place? Just realized Diggs almost had a best-case scenario 54-yard score. And then at the end of that game, Nate, I mean, for Allen to literally, he injures his flexor tendon, UCL, whatever the injury is, and, like, 
when he threw the ball, like when that happened, like it skipped in and it was like, oh my God, can Josh Allen not throw the football anymore? Very next play, 70 yards in the air and a hit Cave Davis seemingly in the chest. A little bit of a push off there, but again, just so close to being a huge, huge play. Garrett Wilson, back-to-back awesome performances, had obvious, maybe the catch of the week, filthy one-handed snag that would have made OBJ proud. Only problem was he was out of bounds when he came down with it. And then with the Bengals, man, two touchdowns that they've had a couple of these this year. T. Higgins, I remember, against the Jets early on in the year that I'm still not convinced they weren't touchdowns. Tyler Boyd should have had a two-yard score in the corner of the end zone. They reviewed it, challenged it, and even Dean Blandino, I believe, said it was a touchdown. Guess what? The refs ref in the game decided it wasn't. Mixon scores the next play. Later in the game, Trenton Irwin looked like he scored a 15-yard touchdown on in the right side of the end zone, but further review showed didn't have two feet down, and guess who scores a touchdown on the next play? Joe Mixon himself again. Also had Chargers running back Austin Eckler. Yes, he got tackled when he tried to roll over the guy, but that first replay on red zone sure made it look like he did really just pull off that 37-yard catch-and-run touchdown. Alas, he was ruled down. And finally, just the top unrealized air yards of the week. Make sure you guys Check out PFF's Josh Hernsmeyer's air yard uh, by low air yards model each and every week. But I'm pretty sure he's going to be having some Bills and Packers on it in this one. I mentioned before, Kyle Pitts, 175 unrealized air yards. That was the most on the week. Also had Van Jefferson at 135. And then we had the Bills, Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis at 95 and 89. And finally, the Packers, Alan Lazard. And Samari Tori at 71 and 64. So with that, everyone, we are officially on to week 10. Get those tears away. Wipe those tears off. We now got a week 10 matchup to go out there and win. So, Nate, four teams on by this week. Pretty, you know, formidable big two. Ravens and the Bengals obviously coming out of the AFC North. Then the Patriots and Jets are, you know, other than Ramondre Stevenson. Not too many guys out there that we can actively trust. So with that said, number one quarterback waiver wire edition of the week is the same guy it's been for the last three or four four weeks, but that's not a bad thing, Nate. Go pick up Justin Fields already, everyone. I wish that we could move on to someone else, but Nate, here we are. I think last week he was owned in around 27, 28% of ESPN leagues, and he's still only up to 47% of these ESPN leagues. So maybe every single person that we're talking to right now is in the 53% of leagues that has Justin Fields, but if not, man, go get Justin Fields. At this point, it's becoming tougher and tougher to keep him out of that top five, top six tier of quarterbacks. And this week against the Lions, league worst defense in points per game, I have him in the top five, and I don't even feel bad about it, Nate. Uh, yeah, when you break the record for most rushing yards by a quarterback in a game and throwing three touchdowns is an afterthought, he's a starter for the rest of the season. Of course, the Lions matchup is great, but you can put him in your starting lineup the rest of the season. So go ahead, get him now, and keep him going forward. I will still give Lamar Jackson the benefit of the doubt. We saw that ridiculous broken tackle run. He is the best dual threat quarterback in the league, and we're not even talking about fields passing right now. But just in terms of fantasy points, guys, no quarterback has more from purely rushing production than Justin Fields this season with 9.4 per game. Jalen Hurts at 8.6, Lamar Jackson 8.4, and Josh Allen at 7.9. Only other quarterbacks with even seven fantasy points coming from purely rushing production. Some other quarterbacks, a slightly different style this week. We're going to focus a little bit 
bit more on the handcuffed tiers at the end of the show because let's face it, not the best week, you know, here for the old waiver wire just without too many injuries happening, which, hey, always a good thing. We will take that. But some other quarterbacks to keep an eye on. I mentioned those big four with the rushing production, Fields, Hurts, Jackson, Allen. Coming in with fifth, just 6.8 fantasy points per game from rushing is Daniel Jones. Coming off that bye week, pretty decent chance that he was left uh, on the waiver wire or someone just honestly couldn't keep two quarterbacks during the bye. So Giants are getting the Texans this week. I mean, pretty much a dream matchup that you would hope he can take advantage of, advantage of against that soft, soft, soft front seven. Also have Marcus Mariota at 35%. Panthers, Falcons this week. So we get the Kyle Pitts experience out of the way before the weekend. Gotta love that. And finally, Kenny Pickett at just 5.5%. And I'm happy you included Pickett, Nate, because you really look at what the Steelers offense has had to deal with this year. And it's one of those things, again, where – Fields, Kenny Pickett, and I understand Mike Tomlin's one of the best coaches in the game. He deserves the benefit of the doubt here with his decision-making, but they bring in Pickett at halftime against the Jets defense. That's sixth in EPA allowed per pass play. Next week, at the Bills, who rank fifth. Next week, versus the Buccaneers, who rank eighth. Had the Eagles before the bye in Philly. The only quote-unquote easy matchup that wasn't against an objective top 10 pass defense came in week seven, and that was in Miami, coming off a game where he got discussed in a pretty much a rainstorm by the time the fourth quarter came around. So, Nate, what are your rest-of-season expectations for Pickett and a condensed passing game now with Chase Claypool, obviously, now in Chicago? Uh, yeah, I expect Claypool leaving to hurt a little bit, but not all that much, I think. He's just someone that you hope gets better throughout his rookie season, as you hope all rookies do over the second half this half of the season, especially at quarterback. And with these, I always like to include a guy or two that's available in a ton of leagues and pickets available in the vast majority of leagues, almost 95% of ESPN leagues. So um, if all these guys that we're talking about are always taken and you are looking for a quarterback, then pickets the one that I'd be looking for. I had a, a tweet last week where I just took weeks nine through 14, right before, you know, the fantasy playoffs, fantasy points per game allowed to each position to get an idea of the best and worst strength of schedules moving forward. And the Steelers, both quarterback and wide receiver, have won the league's top 12 easiest schedules ahead of the fantasy playoffs. So not saying Pickett's going to be a stud, but hey, I mentioned those uh, rushing fantasy points and he didn't crack. I think there were seven or eight quarterbacks with at least five fantasy points per game from rushing, but Pickett was right there on the outside looking in. So not not saying he's going to be a star down the stretch, but at a minimum, I mean, this Steelers offense, Steelers ranked 31st, Rams ranked 32nd in terms of yards per play this year. I do think there's a little bit of hope for the Steelers to go from horrific to average. That's all I'm saying here, Nate, and I don't think it's the biggest uh, you know, stretch of the imagination there. Jeff Wilson still owned just 44.9% of ESPN leagues against the Browns. Now, Nate, last week, you know, talking about this, I'm not sure if the trade had already happened or not, but my initial uh, just – thoughts on the trade was that Jeff Wilson didn't really expect him to take over for Raheem Oster, especially not in his first week on the field and maybe not ever because Moster has been doing a very good job and I think has earned that starting role there in Miami. That said, I was really interested in Jeff Wilson as more so a handcuff that we can now really get behind because even in the earlier parts of the year without Elijah Mitchell pre-CMC trade, he was still someone that we struggled to really consistently keep inside the top 20 because we had Debo involved. We had Kyle Juszczyk doing Kyle Juszczyk things in an offense that did not want to throw the ball to its running backs but Jeff Wilson still has all that and we'll get to the handcuff tiers but he is as good of a handcuff as pretty much anyone you're going to find but Nate this usage all of a sudden the Jeff Wilson takeover I'm not saying it's probable but it does seem possible 
Uh, yeah, it definitely looks like they were heading in that direction. It definitely helps that uh, the head coach was the run game coordinator and then offensive coordinator for the 49ers, so a ton of experience working with each other already. Um, in the game, they were switching off drives to begin with. Mostert had the first drive. Wilson came in. They did that for a little bit, but then the second half of the game, they switched to both players playing on drives, and it was consistently Wilson seeing more time than Mostert on those drives in the second half. So I won't be surprised if Wilson is the primary running back for Miami going forward. And their schedule is pretty decent, so there's a chance that he's not just the handcuff, but he could be the guy in Miami. As always, you can find all of Nate's fantastic waiver wire material on PFF.com. He's got his five to add, drop, buy, low, sell, high out on Tuesdays and his regular waiver wire report on Mondays. And one of the things I love that you do, Nate, and it's also in your, my God, you got 20 million articles. I can't list them all at once, man. But in your Sunday reviews, which, again, it's fun seeing all these snap counts and getting them all in real time. Guess who gets them all in real time? It's Nate and the fine folks, you know, fine data analysts over at PFF. And what Nate's been including this year, just a running back use for all plays early downs goal lines short yardage third downs and two minutes so really man it was split just pretty much even in terms of just overall Jeff Wilson 28 plays and Raheem Mostert 26 and yeah we did start seeing a shift in Wilson's direction the one spot that Mostert dominated was the two minute drill he had all seven of those snaps but Nate that could also just be a matter of hey Mostert was the guy out there for the one or two drives where they were doing it and if there was a situation where it would take Wilson maybe an extra week to really get ingrained in the offense it'd probably be the two minute drill. Uh, Yeah, it really was. They were rotating by drive and only had the three drives in the first half, so it was Mostert's turn to have a drive. So I believe that's the reason he was in on those plays, and we could very well see Wilson in that situation going forward, depending on how they're rotating in the future. Remember, your fab does not carry over to next season. I don't think that'd be a pretty crazy uh, league to be playing in. I don't hate that idea now that I think about it. But assuming that's not going to be the case, I don't think Jeff Wilson is someone to go ahead and take your final, you know, $50 and just throw them all on the guy. But, Nate, he is someone where I do think, you know, when we've kind of been going through these running backs, it's like a kind of tears in terms of like $10 or less that we want to do for him or 10% or less, I should say. Or do you want to go like up to 40 50%? I think Wilson. Wilson settles right there in the middle in that 20, 30% range where, yeah, we should have some decent standalone value. The problem is we are still an injury away from most of for really expecting too much out of this. Am I too low on Wilson? Would you, would you be willing to go higher on the fab? I'd probably be willing to go 30 to 35. Miami does have some really nice matchups coming up. So even if it stays this two back committee, there will be situations where he'll be able to run the ball a lot and Mostert will also be able to see his. Hey, if you need the guy, go get him right now. It's not a guarantee that we're going to have, you know, these great three-down running backs emerge down the road. So, Jeff Wilson, the prime flex with benefits option that we're always looking for. Appreciate our guys uh, checking us out live here on Tuesdays. Again, always get started usually shortly after 1230 Eastern time. And our guy Seth is asking about some of the running back usage we got going on in Chicago, Nate. And conveniently, Khalil Herbert, our next guy up, still owned in 62% of ESPN League. So not a given he's going to be out there. But we did see for another straight week, Dave Montgomery really just take everything, man, in this backfield. 51 plays for Montgomery. 
Montgomery, just 21 for Khalil Herbert. And this was a week after. I mean, Herbert found a way to get his touches, but I want to say he had like 14 carries on 23 total snaps. Like when he was out there, he was getting the ball against the Cowboys. We didn't quite see that again next week. So I see the stats, and I even broke this down in my running back article. I think in Herbert's case, this isn't the change of pace, you know, scat back that has better efficiency numbers than Montgomery. I checked, you know, their percentage of carries with at least two yards after contact. Who's facing, you know, more rushes with at least eight defenders in the box? And Herbert was still winning out in terms of being a more efficient rusher, even after trying to give Montgomery the benefit of the doubt in those uh, scenarios. The problem, Nate, we can think that. I can think that. You can think that. If the Bears don't think that, it's not going to help fantasy managers. Do you really see Khalil Herbert ever getting past this low usage flex play? Who, hey, he can get there on efficiency because he's a great football player. But Dave Montgomery probably always going to be a rather large thorn in the side of Khalil Herbert fantasy managers. Um, I think Montgomery will always be there. I think he's the better receiving back. So he'll continue to see plenty of snaps in the games. But um, ignoring this past week, the previous two weeks, Herbert was getting the ball a lot of the time when he was on the field. So even though he had a low percentage of snaps, he was consistently touching the ball when he was on the field, and that was getting him enough carries to be fantasy relevant. And what I'm really excited about him is some of the matchups he has Detroit, both this week and then in the fantasy championship week. Ooh. So if there's any matchup where Herbert's going to get plenty of carries and efficiency on those carries, it's going to be Detroit's and Chicago ideally can be winning those games, be up late, be running the ball in the fourth quarter. And that'll be Herbert's time to get a ton of carries. And that's when you need him the most is both next week and the last week of the season, last fantasy week of the season. Yes. We're going to be talking a lot more about running backs once we get to our handcuffed tiers, but quickly some other guys that Nate listed out that are owned in under 40% of ESPN leagues, Gus Edwards coming off that injury, but was someone that was listed as doubtful. So I do think a return in week 11 following this bye week is reasonable for Gus. Also have Chuba Hubbard, the guy that did work ahead of Deontay Foreman before getting that injury. He is also someone that does seem to be coming back sooner rather Rather than later, Isaiah Pacheco, still the Chiefs starting running back, even though Jarek McKinnon continues to play more than everyone out there. But you could imagine a scenario where Pacheco's stranglehold on that job increases as the year goes on. Kyron Williams, as Nate said last week, is a lottery ticket. And a lot of times lottery tickets, you know, don't turn out to be much of anything. I do think that, you know, big built two billion or whatever lottery. This one source said someone won. One source says it didn't. I'm not sure if it was. Maybe Kyron Williams won. Maybe that's why he's the guy that's uh, taking his sweet old time getting back from the IR. But yes, Kyron Williams does remain a uh, lottery ticket in a fantasy league where you don't have many of them. And then there's Jalen Warren as well. Still just 3% owned. And with the Steelers, man, I do think they're going to get more competitive. But would it be the wildest thing ever for this team to be 2-12, and 2-13? and 13? Najee's foot still causing him problems. They shut him down and Jalen Warren becomes this year's Rashad Penny, you know, Jeff Wilson guy down the stretch. I don't know. Maybe I just have too much exposure. I'm trying to, you know, speak into uh, reality. You could imagine though before we get to wide receivers i just have a pet peeve of mine nate how come the lottery gets up to like 2.1 billion and people are like oh hey we got to get on this lottery thing like are you telling me like 100 million wouldn't be life-changing enough i don't get this whole thing around the lottery okay if you're in a workplace it's just a fun thing you have to throw five dollars in it that's fine but come on nate give me like a Give me $10,000 and that's going to be freaking amazing. I don't get the nationwide obsession with the lottery only when it gets this egregious amount. Come on. It's just you see everyone else doing it. So you want to get involved, too. It's the social thing. Of everyone's trying to win the money. Everyone's imagining what life would be like if you are that rich. So since everyone else is doing it, you want in as well. 
hey, I'm playing the Miller Maker every single Sunday. Like, I get it. I want to win a bunch of money, too. I'm just saying, you know, that's always out there, always going to be it's big. only a but million dollars. Only a million dollars. All right, back to things that I actually somewhat know what I'm talking about here. I appreciate you guys putting uh, up with my random, dumb rants from time to time. We do have Odell Beckham Jr. apparently on the way back. And the interesting thing about this, Nate, for a guy that suffered an ACL tear in February, had another ACL, ACL tear a couple years ago. I mean, in best ball drafts, it was hilarious for so long when like uh, Beckham was going ahead of guys like Julio Jones, like Will Fuller, who, you know, we don't need to get in that whole situation, but just the injury part alone seemed to make it iffy if OBJ was going to come back and be healthy. But based on what we're hearing, he's fully cleared to go. And the Cowboys rumors just will not stop. Uh, Jerry Jones today said that Beckham would look good with the star on his helmet. And Hey, I agree, man. OBJ would look good in any uniform out there. That said, he is only owning 18% of ESPN leagues. We can talk about, you know, what spots would give him the best overall ability to put up fancy numbers, but, Speaking specifically of Dallas, Nate, because there does seem to be a lot of smoke uh, in that situation, where would you see Beckham kind of falling into the rest of the season landscape? I still struggle to think this is going to be more than a wide receiver four or so. That said, it is a guy where with bye week still, you know, coming on, you know, heavy until week 14 could potentially help you out as a flex option down the road. Uh, yeah, I think he is definitely capable of being a wide receiver three, either in Dallas or wherever he ends up, since he's going to want to go to a team that's a playoff contender that has an opening at wide receiver. So any of those situations, regardless of what those five or six teams are, probably are a good fantasy situation for him. So he was able to last year um, be fantasy relevant with the Rams, even though he was the number two or three wide receiver at times in Los Angeles. So I think he's definitely capable of probably not being a top 10, top 15 wide receiver, but being someone that can be in fantasy starting lineups for a number of weeks, assuming that he is as healthy as he was last season. I think it's a nice scoop now before he signs, because once he signs, people are going to all of a sudden be wanting to really go get him because it's OBJ and he's always just going to have that group of super fans like myself, just remembering the good days and expecting, you know, everything to be super positive here moving forward. So, hey, if you can get a wide receiver three, wide receiver four for a close to free on the waiver wire, go ahead. That said, I certainly wouldn't be putting down much fab to actually go ahead and go get OBJ because, again, anywhere he's going, Dallas, Buffalo, he's going to be at best the number two wide receiver and I really do think it will probably be closer to three or four I mean hey allegedly cleared and doing good healthy but we really still don't even know that part for sure Nate so it's exciting football is more fun more entertaining with OBJ in the fold I do doubt just how relevant he will be down the stretch in terms of a pure fantasy factor even the Rams success awfully touchdown dependent not a guarantee he's gonna be getting those same opportunities elsewhere Another guy, Nate, that had all sorts of hype last season, didn't do much of anything even into this year for the first six, seven weeks. But all of a sudden, Robbie Anderson gets traded. And now Terrence Marshall is playing every down role in a Panthers offense that, yeah, we saw last week, still fully capable of, you know, putting together some horrific quarters back to back. That said, we have seen a little bit of a ceiling here, just two weeks removed from them scoring 34 points against the Falcons. And even the Tampa Bay game showed some nice flashes from PJ Walker. So Terrence Marshall, four catches, 87 yards last week. And then in week nine, he had three catches for 53 yards and a touchdown. Similar to OBJ, I don't think that Marshall really has any sort of room to leap into the top 24 at any point this year. But again, Sometimes we get desperate. Sometimes we're in 14-team leagues. Terrence Marshall is someone that, if it is week 14, and all of a sudden he's sneaking his way into the top 36, crazier things have happened. 
Oh, yeah, we're getting to the point where plenty of players have already had their bye weeks, so you might not need a player who's as dependable on your bench. You might want someone who could get better as the season goes on, and I view them very similarly to a number of other rookie wide receivers, some of them that have been hurt recently, where you're just hoping that maybe they have an Amon Ross St. Brown like end of season like he had last year since Marshall's still only 22 years old, so younger than some of these rookie wide receivers. I didn't have that great of a year last year, so I view them very similarly of just maybe the Panthers' offense can get things together by the end of the season, and at that point, Marshall could be a very good play, but chances are he won't, but there's a chance he will. <laughs> there we go. That's uh, It's like that Charles Barkley uh, quote talking about something. It's like, you know what, guys? I'm 100% certain. Also, I, I'm just kind of making stuff up as I go. And that's it. That's fantasy football sometimes, guys. Yeah. Chance it could happen. Chance it could not. Uh, some other wide receivers. These guys are owned in over 60% of the leagues, but God forbid they're still on your waiver wire. Go get them. Rondale Moore, who we talked about plenty, but just realize we had the two duds with him, and those both came in games without A.J. Green and Robbie Anderson. So he had to line up more on the out. Outside. When he's been in the slot, he's caught at least six passes in all four of those featured slot-heavy games. So especially in full PPR scoring, becoming tougher and tougher to keep Rondale out of the top 36. And last week, hell, I had him wide receiver 26 overall. Also, George Pickens without Chase Claypool. I mean, Nate, you can argue, even though Deontay Johnson has had more overall targets than Pickens with Kenny Pickett under center, I mean, you just published your rest of season rankings today. I'm curious what the disparity was between Deontay and Pickens. Um, it wasn't that large since I. this should be an opportunity for Pickens to see a lot more targets going forward without Claypool on the field. We discussed it when the trade happened live last week, but those Steelers aren't going to be throwing that much to their new slot wide receiver just because they aren't going to be nearly as talented as the other wide receivers and tight end Pittsburgh has. So this is an opportunity for everyone to see their targets increase, but particularly Pickens. Nate does have Deontay wide receiver 29 in the rest of in his rest of season rankings. George Pickens, just a wide receiver 34. So I do think that's a proper disparity between the guys. Also, Wandale Robinson, just 21% owned in ESPN leagues. Isaiah McKenzie coming off a game where he didn't put up much in the box score counting numbers, but we did see his usage really take a nice leap forward over uh, Khalil Shakur. So looking at, you know, what's going to happen in the future with the Josh Allen injury, potential Case Keenum experience under center for a week or two. No, we wouldn't be liking McKenzie for that. But if we can just get that full-time slot role, this remains an explosive, you know, yak-friendly player in a great offense. Michael Gallup owned in just 42% of leagues. OBJ could complicate things there potentially. But still, a guy where if the Cowboys ever have to put their foot on the gas just a little bit more in the passing game, you would expect Michael Gallup to have some bigger games down the stretch. Jahan Dawson seems to be pretty damn close to getting back. You know, similar to Gallup, I kind of question the overall upside of the commander's passing game, as we've kind of seen it's like one guy kind of gets there per week, but Dotson was right there with Curtis and McLaurin earlier on the season before he did get injured. So very talented first round pick, you know, wouldn't be surprised if he does put together a few more solid performances before the season's over. And then we have Traylon Burks who, I was talking to uh, Joanne McFarland on the Sunday Night Review about this, Nate, and referenced your idea on Kyron Williams, you know, being a lottery ticket. And uh, Joanne basically brought up the same point for Traylon, which is, hey, he's a lottery ticket and maybe nothing's going to come of it. This is the Titans offense that's still the only team in the NFL without a single top 24 week in terms of PPR scoring from a wide receiver. If anyone's going to be able to get there, you would think it would be their first round pick once he is healthy enough to return, which does seem to be sooner rather than later. At tight end, 
top waiver wire pickup of the week continues to be Hayden Hurst, owned in just 59% of ESPN leagues. He is on a buy, though, leaving us, Nate, with Greg Dolchich and Kate Otten as the other top two additions. Now, Otten, it is a little bit contingent on Cameron Bray continuing to miss time. I'm not really sure why they would bring Bray back and you immediately just kick Otten out of the offense because he has been a bit of a breath of fresh air over these past few weeks playing an every-down role. I think that probably makes the top streaming option for this week, Greg Dolchich for the Broncos, who so far, man, I know it's been a rough uh, slide for these uh, all the Albert O. truthers out there, but Dolchich really on the other side, he's gotten the full-time role that we wanted Albert O. to have, and honestly, he's looked pretty damn impressive out there with what he's been able to do. I believe uh, it was fantasy point Scott Barrett who pointed out that Greg Dolchich in his first three NFL games had like the third most receiving yards all time of any tight end, so I know. I've seen it. He's had a couple big games, big gains on busted coverage. But hey, that's the thing that happens when you're a tight end or wide receiver playing a near every down role, which is what Dolchitz has. What are your rest of season expectations for Greg Dolchitz as well as in week 10, Nate? Um, he's been a top 12 tight end every game that he's ever played in his career. So I think he's going to probably be a borderline starter every week going forward. Um, so someone where if you have injuries at tight end or need a tight end, I definitely have him on your roster. Um, if you don't have one of those five or six guys, then I'd probably try to have two tight ends on the roster and just go with whoever has the better matchup that week. But he's someone that should be one of those two tight ends on your team. Nate has Dolchers as his tight end 13 the rest of the way, just a single spot behind Hayden Hurst, ahead of guys like Taysom Hill, Tyler Higby, David Njoku, Evan Ingram, and Dawson Knox. So, you know, we do have to worry about injuries, though, with David Njoku and all that. But truly, Greg Dolchich right there in the mix. What a time to be alive. All right, everybody, before we get into our handcuffed tiers, I do want to give a shout-out to a couple of our lovely sponsors. Guys, you can make every play feel exciting with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL and their unbeatable offers right now new customers can make any five dollar nfl bet and get two hundred dollars in free bets if your team wins check this out in addition to the usual bets everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays the clock is ticking on Ohio, getting all this legalized. I cannot wait. In the first place, I'm going to take my money is over there at DraftKings Sportsbook. So any fellow Ohioans listening, let's get in on some of these opening deals. And DraftKings is certainly a part of that. And guess what? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down stepped up same game parlays once per game day all season long. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets. If your team wins, just place a $5 bet on any football game only at DraftKings Sportsbook using code PFF. Also got to get some love to our friends over at Western Southern. The PFF Fantasy Football Podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, plan to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. And of course, Nate, we got to have our weekly, daily, every single episode sleeper segment. Shout out to the fine folks over at Sleeper Fantasy. Nate and I both coming off a win in our PFF Fantasy League. I, we, neither of us want to talk about the overall standings of that league. But hey, man, it's a week-to-week league. And at least in week nine, it was okay for us. But our official waiver wire pickup of the week. And hey, it's it's got to be Justin Fields again, Nate. And I feel ridiculous going back to the well with this guy again and again and again. Because it does seem to get to the point where, you know, we're beating a dead horse here. But beating that dead horse keeps giving us a weekly top 
five fantasy signal caller, then we're going to keep on doing that. And that's exactly what Fields has been in each of these past three weeks. So, yeah. Early on in the season, it was terrible. I don't even blame you guys if, unfortunately, you cut the guy after the first four weeks. I mean, he was a QB 23, QB 28, QB 32, and 25 in the first four weeks of the season. All he's done in five weeks since is rip off QB 12, 9, 5, 5, and the overall QB 1 finish in that amazing performance against the Dolphins. So right now, it's the perfect fantasy football marriage for fields of being a dual-threat quarterback, being in an offense that, yeah, hey, i barked and bitched and moaned a lot about them not adding more talent around him. They finally gave him Claypool better late than never. The passing game is looking up and the defense is horrific after they've taken away Robert Quinn, Roquan Smith, and all the kind of last remaining jewels they had in that front seven. So we got a team that's always going to have to keep their foot on the gas because they don't have any other choice with how bad that defense is. I mean, this is really what led the Lions and Seahawks to be such fantasy friendly offenses in the early parts of the season. Seahawks have started to fix their defense up a little bit, but don't be surprised if Justin Fields and company keep on keeping on down the stretch. Right now, he is one of the more fantasy-friendly quarterbacks in the entire game. Love to see that. All right, guys, now we would go through some handcuffed tiers. So the thought process here was Nate and I were talking on Monday and again in a week where we didn't have that many major injuries. We're still talking about guys like Justin Fields. Didn't want to just give you guys a complete hour of guys that, again, we've already talked about slash aren't the sort of, you know, wave of wire assets we need to be completely losing our minds over. So every week on PFF.com, I have my running back article, you know, published on Wednesday. I understand if, you know, busy life. You got a family, you got a job. You can't necessarily get through 7k words of this, you know, with a fine microscope every single week or, you know, not microscope, damn it, Ian, magnifying glass, whatever we're talking about. Anyway, in the course of this article, I do give handcuffed tears for every single backfield around the league. So what Nate and I wanted to do here was just go through some of the situations uh, where we can actually expect a backup running back. Should an injury arise to get the sort of three down roll that we're hoping for, because as you guys can see, Big difference between someone like Dalvin Cook or David Montgomery getting hurt. And we're confident in someone like Madison, like Khalil Herbert stepping into that every down role and a situation where like, hey, what happens if Daryl Henderson gets hurt in Los Angeles? No one freaking knows. So not every handcuff is created equal. And that's exactly what we're here to talk about today. So, Nate, I have four tiers of handcuff running backs. Tier one are guys I expect to get pretty damn close to a three down roll. Tier two, more so pass catching guys that are going to be more fancy friendly because they have that skill probably still be in an upside rb2 range but not getting the every down roll tier three a little more uncertainty guys that okay maybe we know who the lead back is going to be but we have more questions on exactly how high they would rise in the rankings for a variety of reasons and then tier four is just what the hell probably would add a veteran addition and there's just no real signs in the backfield of backups to feel good about so with all that said nate i have nine tier one handcuffs right now in chicago khalil herbert kareem hunt in cleveland tony pollard in dallas aj Dillon in green bay alexander madison uh, with the vikings damian harris with the patriots i think would be pretty tough to keep out of the picture should ramondre stevenson get hurt Jalen Warren with the Steelers, Rashad White with the Buccaneers, and Jeff Wilson with the Dolphins. So the two guys that I think continuously we see not owned in enough leagues are Jalen Warren and Rashad White. And with Rashad White, Nate, we're even getting some murmurs. I believe CBS reported that Leonard Fournette, you know, quote unquote, really pissed off about, you know, getting pulled out of that game for 
excuse me, for Rashad White. So out of that group, Nate, again, Bears, Browns, Cowboys, Packers, Vikings, Patriots, Steelers, Buccaneers, and Dolphins. Any of those handcuffed running backs where you disagree that they'd have a three-down rule? And just any overall thoughts on guys like Rashad White and Jalen Warren still just not being owned in enough fantasy leagues? Um, yeah, the one that I might bump down a little bit is the Brown situation. Uh, Jerome Ford, who did great in the preseason, um, his practice period just uh, opened up. He's been on injured reserve this whole time. So I think if uh, Nick Chubb were to get injured, we could see multiple backs. Uh, we saw Dearness Johnson play very well last year in his limited time. So I could see Hunt not seeing quite as much playing time as he would have a year or two ago if Nick Chubb were to get injured then. So I think Cleveland's the one I might bump down a little bit. And then in Tampa Bay, I know we've been talking about White all season, but ideally we'd like to see him play a little bit better than Leonard Fournette in order to feel a little more okay with it. We saw Keyshawn Vaughn see a little bit of playing time this past week as well. So that's also a little concerning that if Fournette were to get injured, the fact that they got Vaughn involved this week and how little White's done in his limited time little concern there. I get in like two arguments periodically with Browns fans talking about this handcuff situation. And the guys, I wish they gave Nick Chubb 25 plus touches every single game. Sadly, the one time we've seen them really feature any running back in this offense, it wasn't Nick Chubb. It wasn't Kareem Hunt. It was Dearness Johnson when both those guys were out. That's really the only time under Kevin Stefanski that we have seen them turn over the entire backfield to one guy. I am optimistic that Hunt, who we have seen have a couple games without Nick Chubb. Unfortunately, he's been kind of getting hurt around the same time Chubb has over the years. But while Dearness Johnson, they do take Chubb off the field for Dearness without Hunt on passing downs. I'm just more optimistic that Hunt would keep more of his pass down work. So maybe you could argue he would be a tier two guy, someone that would be living a little bit more on the pass down work than the early down stuff. So getting into that tier two uh, used to be Naeem Hines in Indianapolis, you know, being a situation where I think without Jonathan Taylor, we could expect him to have, you know, that middle class man's Austin Eckler role. But as things continue to, you know, evolve in this NFL, uh, Nate, we don't have a ton of running backs that I think would necessarily have that middle-class man's Austin Eckler role other than two sneaky ones. We have Kenneth Gainwell with the Eagles. God forbid something happens to Miles Sanders. Yes, Boston Scott would stay annoyingly involved, but Gainwell has consistently been the number two in this offense. And who's the one getting the targets? Already Gainwell could be even more without Miles Sanders in the picture. And also Dontrell Hilliard with the Titans, someone that last year, okay, we didn't exactly see him take over the backfield without Derrick Henry. Deontay Foreman was a factor, and I do think Hassan Haskins has done enough for them to have a lot of that early down work but Don Show Hilliard Nate is someone that we've already seen popping a lot this year in terms of what he can do as a pass catcher and even last season like I believe he had over 100 yards against the Patriots like they trust him to run the ball enough between the tackles to think that 10 to 12 carries could be on the table and again what we're really excited about is the potential for five plus targets so Kenneth Gamewell and Don Show Hilliard I don't think they're cracking the top 12 if Sanders and Henry go down but these would still be again full PPR friendly running backs I think would jump in the top 20 fairly quickly god forbid something happened to henry or sanders um i definitely agree with you on hilliard with tennessee i think he'd be the featured guy um it would just kind of depend on how what the matchup is for how well he'd do since we saw um when they played kansas city the offense did basically nothing for the last three quarters of the game and overtime so um it'll depend on the offense if they weren't willing to give it to henry all that much for all that time but 
Um, with Philadelphia, I do think that's going to be an interesting situation. We saw earlier in the season before Boston Scott got injured that Boston Scott was consistently playing more on early downs than Kenneth Gainwell, which is why I kind of backed off of Gainwell in my waiver articles for a bit. But we did see this past week Gainwell played a little bit more than Scott on early downs, which part of that was their hurry-up offense where they had a good third down play, got the first down, and hurried up into first down. So Gainwell got to stay on the field. So I'm just not exactly sure how much Scott would end up playing. I would not be surprised if Scott led the team in carries, even though Gainwell would definitely see a boost in playing time. The one good news is I, I found this out last night when he got elevated. Jordan Howard on the Saints. So there's not a possibility, at least for now, Jordan Howard coming back like he did last season and really making this complicated. So, hey, Derrick Henry is someone that we continue to see, you know, getting these large workloads. I guess last week was a little bit of an exception. It was surprising to see him only get 15 or 16 carries the way that game was going. But, hey, if the big dog is going to go down, it's going to change things in a hurry. And honestly, guys, like if you have the roster space, especially in some of these bigger super flex leagues i know malik willis hasn't been doing much for us this year just overall but if you can't imagine a scenario where Tannehill remains bang, banged up maybe he gets an injury reaggravated they haven't needed to fully turn the game over to malik willis because they have derrick henry so he's going to be the engine of that offense but if Tannehill and derrick henry go down all of a sudden they're not going to have many other choices but to just hopefully let malik willis go out there and run his heart out and when you do start looking ahead to the fantasy playoffs nate you get in week 14, the Jaguars, week 15, the Chargers, who still can't exactly stop the run, and in week 16, the Houston Texans. So, again, we're two injuries away from this potentially going Malik Willis's way, but don't sleep on the possibility of either Malik Willis or Dontrell Hilliard really making some noise down the stretch. All right, tier three now. These are guys who we do have a, someone that we think would lead the backfield, but there's enough uncertainty with the usage involved that I'm not guaranteeing they'd be top 12 or even top 20 options down the rest of the stretch. So first of all, we did have my guy, Captain Spock, mentioning Eli Mitchell as potential tier one back. And my only thing with Eli Mitchell, and we kind of saw this last year, like he absolutely dominated all the usage in the 49ers backfield. And we had like an RB2 because of that. It's Unfortunately, it's the same thing with Jeff Wilson that we talked about earlier. In San Francisco, even though he's a little banged up right now, when he's out there, Debo Samuel is going to be involved in the run game, and so will Kyle Juszczyk. And, oh, yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo really doesn't check the ball down. I mean, before Christian McCaffrey got there, this offense was dead last in targets to running back. So while Mitchell has the sort of, you know, tier one type of usage in terms of the snap rate and stuff. San Francisco is a unique enough offense with the way they use their backs that I'm just not positive he'd be someone that we need to jam into the top 15 every week. That said, Nate, still the clear handcuff and someone that'd be a quality starter. I'm just kind of down the best case upside for someone like Elijah Mitchell. Uh, yeah, he'd be a two-down back because they'd use Kyle Juszczyk on third downs like they did all of last year and like they were doing with Jeff Wilson earlier in the year. So, even though it feels like in every down it's because no other halfbacks are getting the carries, um, he'd still be two down back. Devo Samuel would still get his work. So he'd have a really high floor, but lower upside. And that is the tendency with a lot of these situations. They're not just one injury away. They're two injuries away, which can happen. Look at Kenneth Walker, basically. Penny and Homer go out for a couple of weeks, and he's just absolutely taken over. And I understand Homer didn't, you know, be that big of a uh, 
issue even when he came back to the equation. But Ramondre Stevenson, we've gone through, you know, all the things that went right for him. It can happen, but right now we are trying to prioritize the guys like a Jalen Warren, like a, you know, Tony Pollard, Rashad White, where they are one injury away from immediately being in that top tier conversation. Uh, with the Jets, they brought in James Robinson, complicating things a little bit. Whether you want to call Michael Carter or James Robinson the starter, if either guy got hurt, we would feel confident about them having a bigger role. That said, Nate, I would think Ty Johnson is going to still be involved. And honestly, it's been a backfield where they haven't been all that willing to turn it over to anyone other than Brees Hall would still expect multiple running backs to be involved on a weekly basis, even if the lead back is someone we can start to put in that low end RB2 conversation. I think a similar sentiment is true for the Cardinals and Eno Benjamin when James Conner misses time. Now, losing Daryl Williams helps, but Keontae Ingram, there we haven't seen Cliff Kingsbury quite as willing to give his running backs that true 80, 90% workhorse role like he has in past years. So, Eno, not the worst handcuff in the world, but again, we're not getting quite that same sort of every down role that we have seen in Arizona in past years. With the Falcons, we saw without Cordero Patterson. Yeah, Tyler Algier, even Caleb Huntley, they're going to push for 15-plus touches a week, but they're always going to have those two and even Avery Williams involved in the game plan. In Buffalo, like, Nate, if something happened to Devin Singletary, I just don't think we have enough information right now to know if James Cook or Naeem Hines would take the lead. And I'm not sure Buffalo trusts either of them to be the early down guy. Putting my homerism aside, Nate, I think Duke Johnson could feasibly, in that scenario, get elevated and take some of that early down work. Similar sentiment in Kansas City, who I actually have as, as a Tier 4 uh, handcuff situation because Ronald Jones remains on their practice squad, and he could come up and make some noise potentially. Also, the Panthers, the Bengals, the Broncos, the Lions, the Texans, and the Giants, all situations where I'm just not overly confident about this backup stepping in and getting anything close to what we're seeing from the starter with the Giants and Matt Breida. We already saw Brian Dable not be all that willing to give him a job when they were together in Buffalo with the Texans. Really? Dario Gubawale, Royce Freeman, Rex Burkhead without Damian Pierce. That would be muddled. We've seen in Detroit without DeAndre Swift, they keep Craig Reynolds and Justin Jackson involved on pass downs as much as we would want Jamal Williams to have that role. Denver, freaking guys, like, the whole thing with Denver this whole time, we keep talking Latavius Murray, Melvin Gordon, all this. They wouldn't give Javante Williams even 50% snaps every single week, bringing in, obviously, um, oh my gosh, Nate, who'd they bring in? I'm forgetting. Oh, Chase Edmonds. Yes. Bringing in Chase Edmonds now, even more muddled situation. I just don't think it's really worth pursuing. And the Panthers, we saw it with Chuba and Deontay Foreman. I think out of all these situations, the way things are changing, the only one that I'd really want to go out of my way to potentially prioritize is the Bengals, and that's because it's constantly evolving right now. Chris Evans did suffer a knee injury last week. Nate, I'm not sure if you've seen any extra you know, information about that, but in that case, if Chris Evans is out of the picture, Samaje Piran is suddenly only one injury away instead of two from having a potential 20-touch-per-week workload. Uh, yeah, and Chris Evans really hasn't played much on offense all season long, just a snap here or there throughout the season. So I don't think they've even thought as highly as Evans this year as they were doing last year, so I could see – Ryan definitely seeing the majority of both carries and pass routes. Um, I would say in Carolina, I do think uh, Chuba, Chuba Hubbard would see a ton of snaps since I think right now we're seeing they don't trust Foreman and passing downs, but they do trust Hubbard in passing downs. And he did see the majority of carries that won three quarters that we saw so far. So I think Hubbard would see a decent amount of snaps and touches if Foreman were to get injured. 
And I do think Rex Burkhead in Houston, we could see something similar to what we saw in week one of Burkhead seeing the majority of the work, even though Houston's offense isn't great. So it might not even matter if he's playing over 70% of snaps. And again, we're talking about the workload here. We are far better predicting the workload than we are the efficiency. So these look, Jamal Williams has eight or nine rushing touchdowns this year. He's pulled off plenty of RB1 weeks. It's just tough to really expect him to be a tier one handcuff because we've consistently seen them keep three running backs involved, even in the absence of DeAndre Swift. It's the same thing with Elijah Mitchell. It's a, it's a good handcuff to have. Elijah Mitchell is a good handcuff. I just can't confidently put him in, even inside probably the top 10 handcuffs because there are guys in other situations who we are more more confident and seldom leaving the field. And when they're on the field, having a more fancy-friendly role in Washington. Right now, it's interesting because J.D. McKissick is out with a neck injury. So with that out, okay, now we're down to two backs. We can live with two running back committees in the year 2022. Three and four are when things get a bit more complicated. So from that standpoint, it's reasonable. But as we saw last week, Nate, Tyler, Taylor Heineke, not always going to be the guy to check the ball down to his backs. And with Gibson and Brian Robinson, still is moving, you know, fairly uh, – just neither guy is really taken over at this point. And I'm not sure you could expect, you know, without another injury to really be feeling all that great about starting either guy on a week to week basis. Do you have a feel about the Las Vegas Raiders backfield? Cause we did have that, you know, game a couple weeks ago where Josh Jacobs didn't make the flight and then he got the flight on Saturday and he went out. I tend to think Zamir white would be the guy, but I don't see him having the same sort of role as Josh Jacobs. I think Abdullah and Brandon Bolden will become even more involved. So Zamir white for me, again, someone more so probably like a Deontay Foreman or Chubo Hubbard where, okay, maybe we do find a way to get them in that low end RB two tier. I don't think you're going to be sitting here here though in week 18 going man happy i got samir white on the squad though uh yeah i could very well see amir abdullah getting at least half of the early down work i know plenty has probably changed since the preseason since the hall of fame game even but amir <laughs> abdullah was playing ahead of zamir white on early downs and then amir abdullah didn't play the rest of the preseason since he was considered among the starters at that point so we saw plenty of zamir white throughout the rest of the preseason but that was because they trusted Abdullah enough not to play him. So it could be a mess there. And you listening, stop laughing about preseason usage. It's the only data point we have. Grain of salt, absolutely. We're not telling you to 100% expect this. Nate let off his statement with that. Just realize, hey, the first team preseason usage, that's the stuff we care about. It does tend to be predictive of what we see in the season, especially in situations like with the Raiders where we have nothing else to go off of with this current group of running backs. And finally, tier four backfields that, again, I think are at major risk of just simply adding a veteran if something happens to the starter, I do have the Jaguars, you know, call me crazy. Nate. I don't think Jermichael hasty would take over the situation. If Travis Etienne gets hurt, the Rams. I mean, I wouldn't even feel confident saying Henderson's going to lead the backfield next week, let alone if something happens to the guy with the Seahawks. I just don't think either Travis Homer or DJ Dallas have the trust from that coaching staff to be an early down back. I mean, look, we already saw Seahawks last year, you know, drag Adrian Peterson, you know, back into the fold. Devontae Freeman's out there. You know, we have seen them go to the veteran running back well before during the season with the Ravens. I mean, come on, this was unusable in weeks one through two without Dobbins and Edwards. I know Kenyon Drake is starting to get on a little bit more, but Dobbins, Edwards, both guys were kind of expecting to be back. And Justice Hill and Mike Davis have also continued to 
work into the equation even without them in the picture. In Kansas City, I mentioned this before, but CH or Pacheco goes down. I mean, Ronald Jones is just going to come up and all of a sudden probably take those snaps, and it's all just a committee anyway with Jarek McKinnon soaking up so much pass down work with the Chargers. It did seem like Joshua Kelly was starting to be the clear-cut number two guy when healthy, but he's been hurt, and now we got Sony Michelle in addition to Larry Roundtree and Isaiah Spiller out there. And then finally with the Saints, another situation where I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, a veteran gets added to the mix. They've been willing to do that over the years. And even with Mark Ingram hurt right now, let's say he wasn't injured. We saw with Alvin Kamara out, none of those guys were usable. At best, it was a two running back split with Ingram and Latavius Murray, who's obviously now in Denver. So Jaguars, Rams, Seahawks, Ravens, Chiefs, Chargers, and Saints. Any of those teams you think I'm wrong on here, Nate? Because I just don't see much upside in any of the backups. Um, I think with the Los Angeles Chargers, um, one of, once Joshua Kelly is back, I do think they were trusting Kelly the most out of all the backups that I think Kelly would see at least the majority of snaps with Los Angeles. And with Kelly out, um, Isaiah Spiller did see his highest percentage of snaps that he's seen so far this year, this past week. Um, definitely saw a lot more than Sony Michelle, who they were trying to kind of phase out of the offense before the Kelly injury as well. So um, at at the word to get hurt this week, I could very well see Spiller having a decent-sized role going forward at both of the top two backstage. So just quickly to recap a little bit here, I think these are about two, four, six. I got about seven, eight running backs who shouldn't be owned in like way over 50% of leagues out there. And I think they do give you pretty solid handcuff upside. So Khalil Herbert, someone we talked about before, just over that 60% mark. We saw earlier this year with Dave Montgomery out, someone that was immediately in the top 15 options. And that was for a far worse Bears offense than what we've seen over these past few weeks. It wouldn't be outrageous to have Herbert as a legit RB1. God forbid something happened to Dave Montgomery. With the Patriots, Damian Harris, I get it. He was sick last week and we are going to have uh, you know Ramondre Stevenson still being the league guy but it's not like Damon Harris can't catch a football and similar to Ramondre Stevenson getting this role like they just don't have anyone else at this point so if Ramondre leaves the equation look what happened when Damian leaves the equation Ramondre barely comes off the field 20 plus touches per game I do think that would be on the table for Damon Harris as well and Pittsburgh Jalen Warren again right now he's eating way more into Najee Harris's usage than we even expected going into the year it's one of these unique situations where if Najee comes off the field, I do think that Jalen Warren all of a sudden probably have a bigger workload than even what Najee is having right now. Rashad White in Tampa Bay, also Jeff Wilson in Miami, guys we've talked about, Kenneth Gamewell and Dontrell Hilliard in Philadelphia and Tennessee. Not quite in the same upper-level tier because they are more one-dimensional pass-down backs, but hey, we'll take targets over rush attempts when all else is equal in fantasy land. And finally, we got to look a little bit at that Chris Evans situation, but to Nate's point, really hasn't had you know the sort of uses on offense that we would expect even as a backup already. So Samaj Piran, really someone that's available all over the the place and if something happens to Joe Mixon who hey the guy's been healthy two years running I'm knocking on wood not trying to jinx anything guys but Samaje Piran would all of a sudden be the guy that Nate and I are starting to show with and telling you to use like 40 50 percent of your fab on because even though he's not Joe Mixon he's still a guy that would have that role and man 15 to 20 uh probably touches per week for a guy in a Bengals offense that we've seen capable of scoring all sorts of points so anything else you want to add just about general handcuff practices Nate because this is the time of year where, again, last season, you know, Rashad Penny was an absolute nobody at this point because he was injured and everything. But if we are able to pinpoint a couple of these, the Jalen Warrens, the Samaj Pirines of the world, it can make a big difference in a hurry down the stretch. 
Uh, yeah, the only thing that I'd probably add as a technicality more than anything, I think with the Patriots, Damien Harris would probably only have the two-down roll. I don't think they would play him on third downs just based on everything we've seen. They did just get J.J. Taylor to the active roster. He played third downs in the preseason. He played significantly this past week. But we've seen Damien Harris with that two-down roll still see 20 carries a game, which is the best that we've seen him do in the past and that's been plenty good for top 10 fantasy performances at times. I might be getting a little carried away with tier one, probably more so right there with Nalaja Mitchell, especially if we do ever see Ty Montgomery come back off IR. Stop laughing about Ty Montgomery. He legit had that pass down role in week one, only 60 minutes. I get it, but it's a fact that happened in the year 2022. So again, everyone, you can catch my handcuff tears and just further RB breakdowns every single week in my RB article for every single team. I give the ranks, the usage, the handcuff tier, and some of the matchup notes. And then I explore a key question that I think is most prominent for each and every team, always at pff.com. Just one of many pieces we have up there. And Nate, my goodness, you have more than just about anyone else. Let the people know what they can find from you over at pff.com. Uh, sure. So I have my recaps up from all of the games on Sunday, the game last night on Monday, uh, the waiver wire article that went up yesterday, my top 10 reactions to week nine that went up yesterday. Um, today went up my five tab, five to drop, five to buy low, five to sell high. My rest of season rankings also went up today. Uh, tomorrow, it'll be the rankings for this upcoming week and then start set the day after that. I saw Nate have to pull up literally the workload. You can't even remember it. It's that big, continuing to do great stuff. And again, can't say enough good things about Nate's Sunday grind at Nate Yonke PFF on Twitter. Go shoot the man a follow. He's one of the biggest grinders in the entire industry. So appreciate you, Nate, and appreciate all you guys tuning in, as always, to another edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Week 10's here. Playoff push. Let's go win some freaking matchups, everyone. So for Nate, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in. And until next time, take care, everybody.